All right. We're going to do something today that we have not yet done. <laughs> Don't get too intimidated by it. We haven't done this yet so far in this course since we started the Tanya. We've doubled up and done more than one chapter in a class. This is the first time that we've taken more than one class to do a chapter. We divided chapter 26 in half. So we started last week, we did the first half of, half of chapter 26. Today we're going to finish chapter 26. Now, <coughs> do you remember that chapter 26 sort of starts a new section in Tanya? you remember we are speaking about that? <coughs> that to, to some extent chapters 1 through 25 constitutes a perfect system. Right, one through eight is full knowledge of our condition and the world around us. Nine through seventeen is two types of the brain rules over the heart, either by controlling the heart or by actually slowly transforming it through meditation. What? Meditation. And then eighteen through twenty-five was the, the short way spiritual adrenaline rush while you're waiting for that long way to kick in. So that's pretty much the system. What are we doing now in chapter 26? What do we start to deal with? All of the reasons or the excuses life gives you not to do 1 through 25. So 26 through 34 is essentially it's all about emotional well-being. And the reason for it, like we spoke about last week, is like the, the analogy of the, of the wrestler illustrates, the wrestler is not wrestling in order to win a prize called emotional well-being. He needs to be in a state of emotional well-being in order to defeat his competitor. And the analog for us would be, we're not trying to achieve happiness, we're trying to, we need to be happy in order to achieve what we're trying to achieve, which is our maximum service of Hashem, which was our goal from when we started the whole book, way back in chapter one. Does this all sound familiar? Okay. I want to tell you also that, and this might not surprise you, and I just want to see how you react to this. Sometimes, when I have taught Tanya in the past, I've taught Tanya in all types of different settings, to all types of different groups, um, all types of different styles of, of presentation. Sometimes, especially with a new group, with people who are neophytes, who have never learned Tanya before, or might not even know what type of a book Tanya is, I will start with chapter 26. And we'll, we'll study chapter 26 before they know what's a godly soul, what's an animal soul, what are ten soul powers, what are three soul garments, what's a tzaddik, what's a rasha, what's a benini. We'll just jump right into 26, and they will study it as a guide for emotional well-being without knowing any of that other stuff. Does that make sense to you, how that 
for a lot of people, that would be the easiest way to start getting exposed to Tanya. Because chapter 26 is speaking about the stuff that we all deal with. Everybody's interested in emotional well-being, in happiness. Now, if you've studied the first 25 chapters, you have a better understanding of why that's important. And what you're going to do with this emotional well-being, and how you're going to apply it. But uh, the, the lessons, the tools that these chapters, 26 through 34, give us are ones that pretty much anyone from any background, coming from any approach to life, can immediately appreciate. Does it, this, what, what I'm telling you right now, does this make sense to you? Yes. Okay. Do you wish that you would have started with 26, or you like it better this way? <laughs> you you want your cake and eat it too. Wish you could do both. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. But you can see how somebody right off the street who doesn't know any of the first 25 chapters of Tanya, you could just sit them down and say, hey, you want some spiritual tools for overcoming your life's problems and having a great attitude no matter what? And people would say, yes, let's hear all about it, even without knowing anything from the first 25 chapters of Tanya. Okay, so this chapter, chapter 26, is special in, in that we are giving it two different lessons. By the way, I should also tell you, I don't know how much this is relevant to you, but in the, let's say, the insider's world of Tanya studies, if I were to tell, let's say, if I were to tell my colleagues, people who teach Tanya and have taught Tanya many times, that we're going through Tanya like this and have them guess which chapter we spent more than one week on, I don't think they would guess 26. I don't think they would. They probably guessed 32. 32 is Lamed base, which is lave, which means heart. And it is often referred to as the heart of Tanya, which we'll get to. We'll get to it. But uh, I don't think any, anyone would guess 26. And yet, what I'm telling you is, for reasons that should be readily understandable to us all, 26 is the chapter that most people want to know the most about right away. Precisely because it's about what people are interested in, because it's what, it's what people are struggling with. So that's why chapter 26 gets a little bit uh, longer treatment in our presentation of Tanya. Okay. Everything makes sense? Okay, so last week we dealt with, I'm going to call it my excuse, my excuse for being unhappy that stems from worldly problems. We call them worldly problems. The, the technical term is daigis mimile da alma, worries over mile da alma, literally worldly stuff. Worldly stuff means Elam Hazeh, this phenomenological plane, you know, material things. Material doesn't have to be coarse materiality. Material, I mean, like we said last week, the three big categories of worldly problems are Bane Chaim which is family problems, 
health problems and problems with making a livelihood. All right. So we spoke about last week how to deal with that, how to reframe it, essentially how to reframe it, right? The hidden good, the revealed good, the hidden good is higher than the revealed good. Then you have to prioritize what do you want, the experience that brings you closer to God or the experience that's more comfortable. If you want more comfortable, well, okay, then I guess you want lower good. But if you want the experiences that bring you closer to God, then you are going to choose the higher good. Not that you'll go looking for such experiences, remember, but when Hashem brings them into your life, you will um, accept them and go through them. Okay, that's all review. What about my excuse for being unhappy that stems from spiritual woes? My worries over spiritual problems. Daigus mimile deshmaya. Worries over heavenly stuff. As opposed to mila dalma, worldly stuff. This is mila deshmaya, heavenly stuff. What does it mean worries over heavenly stuff, spiritual stuff, spiritual problems? What are spiritual problems? In a word, guilt. Guilt means I did something wrong in the eyes of Hashem, and I feel bad about it. So what should a person do when he or she feels bad about transgressions? Actual transgressions. transgressions. I did an Aveda. What should I do when I feel bad about having done an Aveda? Hmm? Yeah. Um, is that in the same category? Uh, if the question is uh, phrased, what is my good and not good enough? Is that in the same category? Say again. On a constant basis, day to day basis, my good is not good enough. Is that in the same category as the past uh, sin? Let me see if I understand the question. You're saying, as opposed to an act of sin, more of a sin of omission, a lack of having done the right thing, or having done the right thing but not on a level that is befitting my station. Yeah, that would, that would fall under the same category. Essentially what we're talking about here is I feel bad about my behaviors. What I did, what I didn't do, I feel bad about my behaviors. Now, I want to point out, this is decidedly a different subject than I feel bad about my desires. That's a different discussion. Stuff that I didn't do, but I would like to do. We're not talking about that here. That's actually going to be the subject of an entire chapter unto itself. Chapter 27. Yeah. Why I call it guilt as opposed to regret? Well, that's a good question. You know, it wasn't such a deliberate decision on my part, 
but when you ask me why do I call it guilt as opposed to regret, I haven't looked in a dictionary, at least not recently, um, to look up those words. But regret has a place. Karota has a place. And we're going to actually talk about its place. Guilt, I like the word guilt because I can categorically, I can speak categorically about guilt. I can make a, a pretty sweeping statement and say, there's no place for guilt. Right? I can say there's a place for regret. But I like the word guilt because it, it allows me to make this very, paint with very broad strokes and say, we're going to talk about a toxic emotion that you need to get rid of completely. It's called guilt. I wouldn't say that about regret because there's a context for regret. <clears throat> let's, let's talk about this, this guilt. First of all, the Alter Rebbe points out here, the second half of chapter 26, points out the guilt cycle and describes it in precise detail. The Alter Rebbe says like this, <laughs> sometimes the Yetzirah Rather than coming to you, remember, he's a master at his craft. So rather than coming to you and trying to entice you to sin, which that's a very, um, well, that's a very um, frontal attack, and it's more easily detected as such. But the Yetzirah, being crafty, will come to you in the guise of piety and tell you, remind you to feel bad about bad stuff that you've done. And I'm not going to mince words here. Bad stuff that you've done. You did the wrong thing. I'm not going to pretend that, uh, you know, there weren't sins. They were sins. They were wrong. And the Yitzhahara comes along and says, you've done a bad thing. Let's feel bad about it. And, and that sounds like a very pious and very spiritually minded voice that's speaking in my mind at that moment. But what is the, what's the Yitzhahara's agenda? Obviously, he's not interested in me actually doing teshuva and repairing anything. That's, that's not why he's coming to me with this. What's the agenda? Very simple. The Altar Rebbe describes the guilt cycle. The Yetzirah comes to me with guilt about some Aveda that I've done. In my state of guilt, obviously it's an unpleasant feeling. I feel pain, emotional pain. Coupled with my emotional pain, I'm feeling a low, a low sense of self-worth because I'm the type of person who did such and such. So I'm in pain, and my opinion of myself is low, 
and I'm looking for relief. And so I take the easiest, quickest relief there is, which is some type of indulgence in some type of pleasure. And since I'm feeling low about myself, my standards are not very high, and I go and I do something <coughs> for relief that normally I wouldn't do. And now I have something to really feel guilty about. Because whatever I did, whatever indulgence I used to numb myself from my guilt is a worse sin than the sin I was originally guilting over. And then from there, it's lather, rinse, repeat. It's a spiral, a downward spiral. And it just keeps perpetuating itself until something stops that cycle, that guilt cycle. Yeah? Does guilt always cause you to do a sin, or does it just get you stuck in inactivity sometimes so you're not doing mitzvahs? The question is, does guilt get you to do a sin, or can it paralyze you in inactivity so you don't do mitzvahs? And my answer is, what's the difference? No, because I, th I think that's... What's what the difference? No, but I'm saying, I, I thought more often that's how people get stuck. But I'm saying, what's the difference? If it's making you do bad things or making you not do good things, either way, the Yetzirah is robbing you of your productivity and oh, no, making I'm you waste the, your the life. The difference is that it, it, in it terms either way. of sharing it, it just, I think that's usually people get stuck in their heads with guilt more than they actually go and do something I, bad. Yeah. So well, I just thought it was worth a clap. Depends on the person. True. I think it depends on the person. Right. Depends on the setting. Yeah, sometimes guilt makes people inactive. Sometimes, though, I mean, everybody everybody can think for themselves, but, you know, the worst choices you make, the choices that you are appalled by, you can think about what your emotional state was when you made those choices. Generally speaking, it's at a time of, of, of weakness, which means I'm feeling bad, and I don't think very highly of myself. That's a fatal combination. That's a fatal combination. By the way, I'm feeling bad. You know, like I'm going through pain, emotional pain, and I don't think very highly of myself. That's pretty much a description of adolescence, huh? I'm going through emotional pain, and I don't think very highly of myself. So the eighth heart is very strong in adolescence? For sure. Across the board? Well, you know, I'm speaking in generalities, but yeah. What's a teenager? Somebody who's feeling emotional pain because you're going through a transition. All transitions are painful. You don't know if you're a child or if you're an adult trying to figure out your place in the world. It's very tiring. And you're insecure. You're self-conscious, so you don't feel very, you don't have a very high opinion of yourself. Which is why <clears throat> parenting a teenager is to remind a child constantly who they really are. That, you know, you are essentially good. Not because mommy and tati love you. That does nothing for anybody. That never helped anybody's self-esteem. But mommy and tati think you're great. That never helped anybody's self-esteem. But you are a child of Hashem. You are essentially worthy. You have a mission in this world that the entire world depends on.
you know, that's that's a an idea that we start to teach a child from as from whatever age they can start to, to talk, start talking that way about the importance of their mission in this world. So at any rate, think about think about guilt as being like this teenage moment, <laughs> this adolescent moment of uncertainty and self-loathing and confusion and uh, the easiest thing in the world is just to find a way to distract yourself and what's distracting well we all know you know the the the, the body is a lot more uh, in the front of our consciousness than than the soul so definitely something that's going to feed the body, not nourish it, but, you know, give it some uh, stimulation. And by body, I don't necessarily mean totally physical, although it could be, that's the easiest thing. Uh, but, you know, it could be ego-related. Ego, body, those, those, are, those go hand in hand. Um, so, you know, it could be physical pleasure or it could be, you know, Seeking, you see this very often, you know, one way of trying to quiet the, the pangs of guilt is by seeking physical pleasure. Another is not necessarily a bodily sensation, but, you know, looking, looking for love and acceptance, right? That's not, that's not a physical thing, although sometimes people trade physical currency to get that emotional currency, um, particularly women. And I, and I say this because, I don't know, I guess I hear a lot of stories from a lot of people, and I probably heard the story thousands of times, where it starts exactly like it's described in chapter 26. So I guess... For the sake of anyone who's going through this, it should be spelled out so you can, uh, whatever, you can, somebody tells you this story, you can help them understand what they're going through. That somebody made a choice which is not honoring their own dignity. <coughs> okay? They degrade themselves. And it all started because they started to feel bad about some other thing, some much smaller thing that they had done or not done. And that's how that guilt takes over a person's life. Okay, so I'm not good enough, right, that perfectionism, that perfectionism, I'm not good enough, I messed up, and here's the proof of it, I really messed up. And it's a real example of something that was actually a bad choice. It's not imagined, it's an actual thing that I did wrong, and now, the Yetzirah convinces me, you ought to feel bad about that, so I start feeling bad about it. Okay, now I'm in pain. It's not a pleasant feeling. I'm in pain. I don't like this feeling. And I'm feeling really down on myself. I don't really cherish myself right now because I'm the kind of person who did such and such. And what is this, the perfect storm brewing? What perfect storm is brewing here is... To do something that I really, my better self would never choose to do, but in this situation, I'm looking for that relief, 
So I'm looking for whatever type of stimulus or distraction, those are synonymous, stimulus, distraction, uh, is going to make me feel okay for now. And then self-loathing goes into overdrive because the kinds of things that I do for relief when I'm feeling a low self-worth are things that I can really obsessively guilt over. Okay, I'm repeating myself, but I just want to make sure this is very clear. I'm going to go to all the questions, like this, one, two, three. Okay, yes. We know that we have a future way in. So when we're in that situation and we acknowledge we've done something, we messed up, why is the default to do something worse as opposed to do something to connect to Hashem and make ourselves feel better? Okay, so you're not asking this as a goody-goody. You're really asking. Why, it doesn't make sense. Why? The question was, when I'm feeling bad, why, do, why, do, why doesn't my default go high? Why is my default go low? Right? Okay, and, it, and it's, it's a good question. Think about it like this. Think about it as a trajectory. Okay? As you're plotting a course. Two dots make a line. Once I'm feeling guilt, and this is why I'm categorically condemning this emotion called guilt, once I've already entered guilt mode, I'm headed in a direction, and it's not up. It's down. And if I just play that out, it's going to continue to go down. So when I'm feeling that pain of guilt, and the question is, well, why don't I make a better choice instead of making a worse choice? When I'm in the mode of guilt, I'm already on my path downward. And without some force to stop it and set the course backward, I'm just going to continue going down, which is worse indulgences, worse guilt, worse indulgences, and so on and so forth. What was the second question? Yeah. I, just, I, like, I guess related to her question before, I don't know how guilt always... Does guilt always cause you to sin? And I'll tell you why. Because isn't there like the guilt that, for example, I experience where like, Either like parenting, I'm not a good enough parent, or go, it connects to the perfectionism, like you were saying, but it's like it'll constantly keep me in that loop of like, or feeling empty, I'm not doing enough spiritually. Why does it necessarily have to cause you to sin? I don't see the correlation between, I get the guilt feeling of like feeling down, having like, you know, I'm not doing enough, or yeah. I'm not good enough this, I'm not good enough that. That guilt yeah. every day. But it doesn't necessarily cause me to sin. Well, the question was, I I know what it is to feel guilt. I relate to that part, but it doesn't necessarily cause me to sin. And my answer to that would be, I guess it depends how you define a sin. Or how you define guilt. Or define guilt. But let's say we agree on the definition of guilt. But... um, Can you define it again? To define what? Guilt Guilt. or sin? Guilt. Define it all. Guilt is. When you are stuck in a loop of, uh, you call it guilt, but uh, not satisfaction of <coughs> doing more than I, sh- you know, like uh, I am doing. Um, there's a sense of happiness that is missing, right? So uh, how do you help that? There's no, there's no. Okay. So first of all, just please realize we're in the middle of a subject, and we haven't described yet 
what to do instead of guilt. So a lot of your questions, I think, will be answered by that. But just to give people the definitions of guilt and, and of, of sin, because these are coming up, I told you before, I'm saying, I'm going to say it again in a very simple way. I don't think it needs to be any more complicated than this. Guilt is feeling bad. We all know what it means to feel bad. And it's feeling bad about what I've done. That's it. Sin, sin is any behavior that is not the maximum use of my time here in this world. That's it. How do you know the maximum that you should uh, you can be accomplishing for this? You have to have a mentor. You have to have a spiritual guide. You have to check in regularly and give honest reports. That's it, because if not, by the way, this itself is guilt. This itself is guilt. I'm not doing enough. I could be doing more. Who says? Who, who told you that? You, you got that checked out by an expert? I would be very, very skeptical of any such evaluation that came to me, came to my mind repeatedly, uh, without checking it out with an objective person, because, uh, like I said, the Yetzirah is a master at his craft. And... Some people, he'll come to you and he'll say, oh, relax, you're doing too much, take a break. But other people, especially women, the Yitzhahara comes along and says, do more, sleep less, take care of yourself less, obsess more about your deficiencies. And... Uh, the proof is in the pudding. You know, you see if it gets positive results or not positive results. And that causes sin? That causes sin. And we define sin as the obsessing about doing the wrong thing or not doing the right thing causes me to miss out on more behaviors that I could have been doing the right way. On being present. Well, that, that, that's another issue that it robs us of being present. But I would say that's more of an indication. Okay, that's another side. Let me give, it, give this 30 seconds. Any, any focus that brings you out of the moment, you have to be very, very careful about. Why are you out of the moment, and why are you in your head? Um, if it's to meditate on the greatness of God, like we spoke about in chapters 16 and 17, then, you're, then, then, then it's good. But if it's anything else, if you're getting into your head, you have to really ask yourself why you're going there. Because very, 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 very often you're going into a guilt meditation. 
There's another meditation that is sort of the flip side of the guilt meditation, which is the resentment meditation, but that I will include in the first half of chapter 26. Resentment meditation is somebody else messed up my life. So that for that, you could use the first half of chapter 26. You've got to reframe it. That's all part of that higher good, the hidden good. But when you're feeling like, I messed up my life, then you need the second half of the chapter 26, the, the spiritual worries. But there was, a not, there was a third question from before. Before we, yeah. So how do you, how do you like, once I, like, regular regret, let's say we want to do chuba, or, like, looking back and saying, like, I didn't do a good job. Or, like, okay, fine. So that's what we're going to get into. That's exactly, okay, that's what we haven't done yet. So I said what not to do. Obviously there is what, okay, so let's, perfect, perfect segue. Thank you. All right. Just, yeah. I think it's also self-evident that if we're in a place of guilt, um, however one defines sin, um, you can't you can't do anything joyfully. I mean, also everybody's been telling us we need to have power of joy, right? If we're in guilt, we're we're yes. in a bad mindset. Yeah. This correct. This takes away our joy, and we ex- explained at the beginning of the chapter twenty-six why we need joy. I'm just explaining more specifically how this particular lack of joy plays itself out. The, the, the guilt spiral, yeah? I just wanted to say the difference to me between regret and guilt is regret is not doing enough or not doing something that I could have done, whereas guilt is something I did that was wrong. Oh, okay, so that's a different definition. To sin. Regret won't lead to sin. Uh-huh. Regret might propel you to do something better, well, but guilt will lead Okay, to so but in, the way we're using it here, mm-hmm. it, the way we're using it here, Guilt could be about what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter. It's either way. Either way. So you're saying it's a sin because you have, you missed an opportunity. Yeah, either a sin of omission or commission. Yeah. Either way. It doesn't matter. The point is I'm feeling bad about myself. I'm feeling I'm feeling emotional pain over my past behaviors. Period. Okay, that's it. Whatever they were. All right. So let's talk about the proper way to deal with these problems. The Altareba points out a dead giveaway. How we can know from the very outset that this thought pattern is not headed in a good direction. I always get resistance whenever I teach this point. Because I think it's a, <clears throat> a little bit of a bitter pill. The Altareba says like this. If in the middle of your day, in the middle of your carpool, in the middle of your grocery shopping, all of a sudden, this thought enters your mind about guilt, feeling bad about something you've done or that you didn't do, that you should have done. The Alter Rebbe says, you already know this is headed in a bad direction. Because why is it coming to you out of nowhere in the middle of the day? 
Now you might say, well, I'm just a very spiritual person and I'm very on top of my spiritual development and I'm thinking about my ways I can improve myself all the time. So it shouldn't really surprise you that in the middle of grocery shopping, I'm feeling bad about, no, no. Al-Tarebbe says, where did it even come to you to start thinking about, is this the time for this? This isn't the time for this. The very fact that it's out of context, that it's a non sequitur, that it just arises to your mind, you don't even have to check it out any further. It's not headed in a good direction. What, are you in the middle of davening and you're saying vidui? If you're saying ashamnu begadnu and you're in the middle of confession and you're thinking about how you relate to each of those words, I get it, I understand it. But in the middle of grocery shopping, you start thinking about sins, I promise you, I don't even have to check it out any further. It's not headed in a good direction. It's coming from, ba- from, a, it's coming from, from the Etzahara in order to initiate the guilt cycle. <coughs> because this is not the time that serious spiritual people deal with their past deficiencies. There is a time, there is a place. Generally, it's done daily or weekly, but it's done at regular intervals. It's a stock taking, it's an inventory, and it's part of a regimen. So if at the end of the day, generally by bedtime shema, or at the end of a week, generally Thursday night, Thursday night's the end of the week. Because Friday night is Shabbos. We wouldn't do such a stock taking Shabbos. Everything is perfect. Everything's fine. You leave everything the way it is. But Thursday night is my last weeknight of the week. So Thursday night generally is a time for a longer bedtime shema, for introspection and stock taking, spiritual inventory. At that time, I am supposed to go through my past and unearth anything that's coming between me and Hashem. But if it's not happening at that time, I know from the very outset it's not headed in a good direction. So the Altarabah says this, when you have this sudden pang of guilt, it's very simple. You tell the Yetzirah, no problem. If this is legitimate, meaning if this is real, if this is really about identifying a problem and fixing the problem, no problem. There's a time for that. Let's set an appointment. But if this is just about making me feel bad, I can't let you do that to me. I'm not allowed to let you make me feel bad, even though you have a religious excuse for making me feel bad. Let's set an appointment. Now, I can tell you, the Al-Tarebbe doesn't say this, but I can tell you from personal experience that one of the wonderful things about this tool, about having this response, ready to go, the minute you feel the guilt, to be able to say, oh, very good, this may or may not be legitimate, 
We will find out tonight at 11 p.m. when the Siddur is open to the bedtime Shema. One of the wonderful things about that tool is 99% of the time, this guy who found you in the grocery store to harass you about your sins will not show up at 11 p.m. to bedtime Shema. He will not show up. All of a sudden, it's 11 p.m. I'm trying to do my review. I'm trying to do my stock taking. And he's nowhere to be found. Why? Because he, he's not... It was, never, it was never his intention to be part of any type of productive self-correction. It was about distraction. It was about putting me into the guilt cycle. Yeah. So this is about when there's really out of left field, where there's no stimulus. It's just you're doing something else and that yeah. thought comes to It's not when you have, let's say, you do something that you want to make an amends, that you should make an amends. You do something, you're doing something wrong, you even feel that, bad. Even that. But then, because you can you come wait, up with that it, stuff. But if you wait, not only may the person not be there to, to do it, but you may also, isn't, by giving yourself that time, isn't it possible that your Yitzhahara is then okay, so convinced it's, you that it wasn't so bad, it really was not your it, fault, If you're whatever. talking about immediately in, in the moment? In the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, but, yeah, but so that's... This is when it's really like... But justice. that's not a thought. Let me distinguish here. You're saying in the moment you realize you messed up and you want to fix it now or immediately afterwards, right? So this isn't what what we'll call cognitive thinking. It's not like, you know, when I try to to pinpoint what is cognitive thought, because cognitive thought is such a powerful tool. You can use it to meditate about God or you can use it to meditate about resentments and regrets and all types of poison. I think like this, if it's something that a three-year-old can think, then it's more here and now. All right, so like, I think about my three-year-old, if you tell her, or two-year-old, you know, mommy left the house, but she's coming back in five minutes. You know, to a two-year-old, that means nothing. She's coming back in five minutes, means nothing. But, you know, a three- or four-year-old, mommy's coming back in five minutes, could start to mean something. So... Um, you know, call it like sort of like your spiritual goldfish memory. If it's something that requires goldfish memory, like I just messed up, I don't have to remember far back. It's happening right. I'm in it right now. Then that's called dealing with something as it's happening. But if it's anything more than goldfish memory or dog memory or lahavdul you know, two-year-old memory, toddler memory. Now it's your brain, which is potentially dangerous. You know, I'm removed from the scenario, I'm removed from that place and time. Now the only reason I'm thinking about it is because my brain's powerful enough, I have this tool called cognitive thinking, where I can think of stuff that's not happening right now, in the here and now. Uh, that's where you have to be very, very careful and say, okay, this isn't something that's happening, this is a thought. Right? It's not happening, it's a thought. Well, I have my, my response already pre-written for all these thoughts. I take out my, 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 my note card and I say to this thought, very good thought. I don't know if you're from the Yitzhah or not, I think you are, but that will be seen tonight at 11 p.m., when the, where the Siddur is open for the bedtime Shema. We'll find out where that thought is coming from. But to, to answer your question simply, 
if it's happening and you want to deal with it, it's okay, fine, you deal with it. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where it's a thought, where it actually required cognitive thinking. Yeah? Just by way of clarification, so if you were in Gormaglad, as you said, and you think you should have been somewhere else at that time, then that's not guilt. That's what you should be dealing with at the time. Right. right? If it all of a sudden strikes you, you know, I should be somewhere else. Right. I need to be, I can't be doing this, I need to be somewhere else. Right. That's not guilt, that's decision making. Right. That's real. Now, but The definition of guilt is, it's, it makes me powerless because there's no decision making to be, to be exercised. That's the definition of guilt. There's no decision-making. Right. If there's an active decision on the table, that's not guilt, that's making decisions or modifying my decisions. Okay, so wait, so let's say you... Point of guilt is, it's over. The decision is already passed. I can no longer make... A, I can no longer change or modify that decision. I can make a new decision to try to offset the old decision. And that you can th- think about? That's okay? Like, let's say you don't like... No, 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 that, to your kid earlier, and that comes into your head. Once okay the decision-making is over... Now we're talking about cognitive thinking. That's guilt. By the way, animals don't have guilt. Right. I like the people who talk about, oh, my, I came home and the pillow was ripped to shreds and my dog had a guilty look. Your dog didn't have a guilty look. Dogs don't have guilt. No, but she saw that I was pointing at the pillow and screaming. And she went into her crate and she, was, she, was, she wouldn't look at me. Yeah. She's afraid. That's submission behavior. She doesn't want you to be mad because there's this crazy person screaming while pointing at some random pillow. That's not guilt. They don't have cognitive thinking to be able to associate those things. So again, if it's something that a dog could do, then it's here and now. If it's something that a toddler could... could, If it's a mental assessment that a three-year-old could make, then then it's kosher. But if it requires cognitive thinking, then you want to push it off to the right. By the way, I want to keep moving because we have a few minutes left, and I really want to describe not just the when, but the how. The when is half of it. The how is the other half of it. Let let me just ask your permission to continue and not to deal with any more questions right now. I just want to move ahead. Okay. So first thing is the when. We're going to do this at our daily or weekly review Bedtime Shema, generally speaking, is the proper time for that. Okay, that's the when. Now I want to talk about the how. The how is extremely important. We're not just going to defer or push off a guilt cycle. We're going to do it a totally different way. We're going to come about it a totally different way. Well, here's what we're going to do. The Alter Rebbe describes it. He says, when you have your inventory session, here's what you should think about. He says, you should be misbeinen. <clears throat> you should meditate. Al-Gadlus Hashem On the greatness of God against whom you have sinned. Those few words are crucial. To meditate upon the greatness of God against whom you have sinned. Crucial words. 
Not to meditate upon the greatness of your sin. But to meditate upon the greatness of God against whom you have sinned. Hmm? Could you say the Lashem of Hasa? The Lashem. Godless Hashem, the greatness of God, Asher Chotoloi, against whom you have sinned. Don't tell God how big your sins are. Tell your sins how big God is, right? When a person thinks about all the wrong he's done, that itself can be a spiritually damaging experience. Because essentially, what are you doing? You're, go, you're playing your, your low-light film in slow-motion replay. You're watching yourself in your worst moments. Now, what possible benefit can it have to, to mentally focus and, and attach emotionally to those memories which are not positive things? The whole process itself can be indulgent. Uh, it's it's it, it's dirty. It's a it's wallowing. It's, it's more than the wallowing. It's it, it's a, there's another dimension. It's it's almost like it's almost like you know reveling in it. It's two sides of the same coin. The wallowing is the, I'm so terrible, I'm so disgusting, look at me. And then there's the sort of reveling, the secret, ha, 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 look at me. You know, I did it once, and now I'm going to go to the memory bank, and I'm going to relive it again. Wow. That's not healthy. Throwing good money, good money after bad. Yeah, sort of, yeah. So, I mean... And, and by the way, if you think about your, night, your nightly or weekly review this way, you could also think about Yim Kippur this way. Can you imagine a person who spends the whole Yim Kippur, holiest day of the year, and what's going through their brain? The nastiest, most unsorted behaviors of their year. That's how you spend the holiest day of the year, is reviewing all of the yucky stuff from your life. No, that can't be spiritual. That cannot be spiritual. So then what am I supposed to do, though? I have to deal with this. There's a problem. To, okay, no problem. We're going to deal with this. Meditate on the greatness of Hashem against whom you've sinned. In other words, when I meditate on the greatness of Hashem against whom I've sinned, first of all, I'm meditating on the greatness of Hashem. I'm not meditating on the sin. Second of all, the sin becomes almost incidental. It's almost irrelevant what betrayal it was. What is significant is the betrayal. I'm in a relationship. I'm here to be loyal, to serve my maker. My maker deserves the best of me. And I didn't give Hashem the best of me. Is it really that relevant which 
particular sin, which category or subcategory of sin it was, that I, that I, uh, that was that was the specific form of betrayal. Is that what makes it so bad? It would be. Good. Is it the sin itself? Is it the behavior itself? Maybe on a very humanistic level, where we're appalled by certain behaviors more than others. But from a spiritual perspective, perspective of someone who's serving Hashem, what makes a behavior appalling is that it's a betrayal of my relationship with Hashem. So it's not about my reaction to the sin. Oh, that was a bad one. Oh, that one was not such a bad one. It's about my feeling of I'm in a relationship and I did something, anything. It was really irrelevant what it was that I allowed to come between me and Hashem. And that's what I regret. My regret is not the sin. My regret is the interruption between me and Hashem. And if that's the case, it's almost irrelevant which form of behavior, which that interruption took on. I want to wrap up in less than 60 seconds. And I have all the questions. Yeah. Yeah. However, we're here to do it better each time. Let's say for, I'll take a very silly, well not a, a very practical example. Yelled at your kid because they did Yeah. Better. But I don't want to do that next time. Don't I have to be also aware of what <clears throat> I did so that I don't do yes, it? Yes, I'm aware of, yeah, I'm aware of what I did. Where does that but That's not, that, that's minimal brain space. What? How do I learn from my mistakes once I recognize The point is, you say, I feel bad that I yelled at my kid. You want to know something? Yelling at your kid, you know what makes yelling at your kid a problem? Not that you're appalled by the fact that you yell at your kid. That's not what makes it a problem. What makes it a problem is that Hashem is really, you know, they say Hashem has no grandchildren. It's not like you're a child of Hashem and your child is the child of the child of Hashem. Your child is Hashem's grandchild? No, that doesn't make sense. Your child is Hashem's child. I yelled at Hashem's child. So if I really want to do tshuva, if I really want to fix it, it's not about I find this, I personally find this behavior appalling. No, it has to be within the context of, wow, yelling at my child is just another thing that I allow to get in between me and Hashem. And if I'm more focused on Hashem then those behaviors are going to happen a lot less. We always bring it back to our relationship with Hashem, and does this behavior fit into my relation with Hashem, or doesn't fit into my relationship with Hashem? But the, 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 the litmus test is always the relationship with Hashem. It's not about, well, is this a good behavior or a bad behavior? Don't worry about the behavior. Think about the relationship. Is this behavior consistent with the relationship? And yeah, yeah. this is it, and then we're up and we're finishing. Let's say mm-hmm. you, you spoke bad about someone, or you were like lax yeah. in Hilfa Shabbos. Where is it coming to learn more of the halachos, or like put something practically into place? Okay, so let's wrap it up here. Okay, the question is, so, so practically what? Yeah, okay, so this is the last part of it. All right, so there's the, the when. The when is very important. Set an appointment. I'm going to do my regular review as a part of a spiritual regimen. I do daily or weekly review. There's the how. 
the how is. I meditate on the greatness of Hashem, against whom I've sinned, not meditating on the sin. And then there's how to wrap it up, how to resolve it. Okay. So here's what the Alter Rebbe says. You bring it to light, you put it out on the table, you are 100% confident in the fact that Hashem forgives you, you immediately feel joy, you immediately feel joy, the joy at having been forgiven, and now you move on, you move on with that behavior now out of your life. If it comes up again, okay, so we'll deal with it again. But at the moment you finish your spiritual inventory, the, the, the feeling has to be the joy of having been cleansed, having been relieved of this burden. It's gone. It's, it's done. I'm done with this. It sounds like self-therapy. It is self-therapy. It's amazing. It is. Face it, it trace is. it, and erase it. What? Face it, trace it, and erase it. Face it, trace it, erase it. Yeah. Face it, what is it? Trace it, a betrayal against Hashem. Whatever it is, it's irrelevant what form it took. Erase it means, Hashem, I give it to you. And he takes it. And immediately one is supposed to feel joy. If you're doing these appointments with yourself correctly, it should immediately be resolved in joy and a feeling of relief and move on in life. That's it. You move on. That's what the guy do. They go they, you know, they go give their confession. No, no, no. But this, this, what? This, this is different than... No, this is different than a confession. This is between Adam and Malcolm, right? Not. No, 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 it could be also been Adam Luchavera. Okay, anyways, let, let, we, we're, we're going too late. We've got to wrap it up. All right, so let, let, let's just summarize in 10 seconds. Chapter 26. What? Chapter, we're going to summarize in 10 seconds, whole chapter 26. Chapter 26. There are two types of problems that could get you down and they'll mess you up from serving Hashem properly. One type of problem is something's going wrong in your daily life. Daily life. We'll call it your mundane stuff. Okay, reframe it. Look at the, the higher good, the concealed good. The other type of scenario is spiritual problems. Spiritual problems means guilt. I did wrong. What do you do? Set an appointment. Take care of it. Be relieved of it. Move on. Okay? Good? All right. All right.